Well, it feels like uh, the the old KubeCon was last week, but it's actually two weeks ago, I think. Which makes I've actually had that thought several times uh, this week, and and it made me think. Well, what did I do last week? I can't really remember. Do you do you do either of you two keep like a uh, like a, a daily log journal, a diary? Not so much like you know your reflections on on life and the passage of time, but more of just like what I did today, like so that yeah. you can look back and be like, what did I do? last week because i don't remember it looks like you do though ed what's I what's do. your method Although, you know mine is clearly very analog hopefully there's nothing mm. confidential or even readable on there oh it's um, it's blurred out so you're in luck it is blurred very technically yes um yeah it's just it's a way for me i suppose to try and focus i'm not sure it makes me any better um mm. and my filing system is just a big pile of a4 somewhere then you know i've got it for like the last however many years right six seven years yeah. kind of here's what i did this week here's last week and that way if if i fail to record it and whatever system we're meant to be recording in for whichever team you're in <laughs> i always always know i've got something i could go back and say actually that's what i did over the last however many months um that's good interestingly i find it's it has to be a mix of work and out of work as in Stuff I do for the kids, stuff you do. Oh, yeah. I kind of keep a note. So that way, if I end up looking at something and going, I didn't do much that day work-wise, but there's a huge (laughs) long list on the right. It's like, right, I got distracted by car breakdowns or whatever it might be. Oh, right. Last week, my car broke down on the school run. So that was a bit of a hindrance. But uh, Wow, that's so admirable. I wish I did that. I try try to do exactly what you're saying. I have a, uh, depending on what editor I'm using that quarter, because, you know, I'm always rotating my tools way too much. Uh, but I, I try. I keep. I keep a, a file called Daily Log, and uh, I like to put in. This is great for my to-do list management because I have one to-do list manager, and then I also put to-do list things in the Daily Log file, right? Uh, because you know, I don't know about YouTube, but the thing with a to-do list manager is after a few months, everything is due today, and so it's more of just like a reminder place to have everything. Whereas in the Daily Log, it's actually stuff I want to do that day. But then what happened recently is I start rolling over the to-do list stuff. Uh, so, you know, the eternal to-do list problem. But I, I, you're, you're inspiring me because I always keep my, my personal journal separate from my daily log journal. But I think you're right. It just has to be the same. Like, you got to put all the stuff in there, right? Like, you know. Well, yes, that bit of paper works for me in that it's what I actually did in a day. No, that doesn't yes. mean it's what I should have done that day or anything else. And also, the only thing that's ever worked for me is a bit of A4 and a pen sat to yeah. the right of my laptop. Anything that makes sense. Work. You know, like you said, I've got to-do lists. I use Todoist. That's great. But uh-huh. stuff doesn't get entered into it. Whereas a bit of paper, I'm just like, I just spent 20 minutes doing this. I jot it down. And it yeah, kind of just that's works. Good. It's the only lightweight system that I've maintained. A little captain's log. Uh, Personal yeah, entry. Yeah. yeah. How, about, how about log. yourself, Ben? It's, it sounds like maybe you, you don't have a, a daily log. I've read so many times that it's a really good skill, a life skill to have, you know, that it's good for your mental health as well. It allows you to, you know, focus, like you said, and also um, remind you of the things that you've been spending your time on and maybe give you an opportunity to change the balance and stuff. So I get it. I get I, I get the theory and the and that's the practice. I just I just don't do it. <laughs> don't I just do not do it. I don't even have a piece of paper on my desk. Yeah, <laughs> you've gone to a paperless office. You see, the modern approach. <laughs> you could say that, but I haven't replaced it with like a to-doing app or anything like that. It's like, okay, if people want stuff, they'll ask me for it at least twice. Uh, yeah, so there, there's there's my uh, there's there's my prompt. Yeah. Get uh, a to-do yeah. list then. In the second, I'll ask you again at the end, and then you're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I I, I used that to wasn't use... an ask though; it was an order. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't do orders. Uh, no, 
I used to have this, I used to use this to-do list thing called OmniFocus, which is just like, like if there's something beyond a Swiss army knife, then that's what it was for like, uh, you know, for, uh, for to-do list management. And, and I'm realizing it had, it had three categories of a due date. One of them, of course, is nothing. Just there's no due date. And then, and then of course, there's the actual due date. And then it had this other category called defer, which basically, which I never use, which basically meant don't show this until this date. And, and so I think maybe that's what I, that's probably how I schedule things more is, is I, I defer them. Like, I don't want to look at it until a certain date. And that's why it always piles up with, with today is like, it's not like it's due today, but I need to be like aware of it. And, and at some point, at some point that CFB is actually going to be due today. So I want to make sure that I see it far enough ahead of time, but you know, to-do list management. There, this also reminds me when I was when I was a, a, a younger programmer. There was one person at the first programming job I had who showed me. Man, I I can't remember the abbreviation. It wasn't called TPS, but it was some system for programmers where every thirty minutes you were supposed to check in and log what you had done, and like after you can imagine, as as maybe you know, uh, Ed, after like several years of this. You could go do an analysis of how you're spending your time and how you're doing, you know, doing well at it. And it uh, it seemed like something that you would have to use if you were like developing missiles in a highly regulated environment. And uh, people would come in and want to audit how you spent your time and things like that. But I don't know. It seemed awesome, but a lot of work. I do recall, yeah, some some 90s management technique around that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's like TST or TSRP. I don't, I don't know. Anyways, speaking of how we spend our time, Ed and I were at KubeCon, and I know you watched it online, Ben, uh, which, which is exciting. But let's, because I know what I did, uh, so I, I want to entertain myself. What, what did you do while you were there, Ed? Wait, wait, a minute, wait, wait. Do you, though? Do you, uh, you, you know what you did? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's, that's more appropriate because I don't know what I did. I, uh, I can't go over it. <laughs> And now we get to the truth of it. Yeah, fill him in on what he did. <laughs> what was actually going on? Um, so actually, I mean, so my experience, it was interesting. I guess that's my first conference in probably three or four years, I think, post-COVID. Mm. I don't think I've done any others, and I couldn't remember when I went before one from actually. So actually, the, the one thing for me, aside from all the different technical KubeCon-specific stuff, was just nice to be mingling again. You know, I know a couple of people did get COVID there, but it didn't feel like a big deal. Uh, it just felt like life was normal. You can go back to a conference. It was a nice conference in that case. And in terms of being a big conference, you know, 10,000 people sold out. Um, it really reminded me of early VMworlds. And I say that, you know, oh, right. I haven't been to VMworld for quite a few years. I used to go all the time before I joined VMware. But once I joined VMware, there was no need to go, paradoxically. Um, but it had that energy. It had that buzz in the air. This was my first in-person KubeCon. I've done a couple of the virtual ones. I don't think they count, you know. There's no buzz in the room when it's virtual. Um, no room. But exactly. You can feel the energy just looking across floor. I mean, yes, it's a trade show. But it was still actually my first day, I got a bit of that buzz, day one buzz. And it was like, oh, I haven't had this for ages. Sort of excitement. I don't know if you can say that for a tech conference. But, it, you know, I'm a, I'm a geek. So it works for me. Um, so, yeah, I like that. I spent a lot of time kind of wandering around the solutions exchange um, because for me – KubeCon's an interesting one, I suppose, in that, A, there are a ton of brand new people. Um, and I've been mean, brand new vendors, brand new solutions. Apparently, 58% of the audience were new as well, which I still find surprising. Um, 
But either way, I guess that's sort of where all the energy comes from. So there was a lot of like, who are they? What do they do? Um, mm. And a slight feeling for me of I'm beginning to get a handle on it. Um, you know, I was sort of ish new to the cloud native stuff a year or two ago. I used to be able to turn up to VMworld, know all the vendors, know a lot of the people, um, drop right into that whole community thing. And that was a brilliant sort of conduit to information and conversations and what was coming up. And I'm still kind of gaining that in the, the Kubernetes world. Um, so it was a nice way to sort of see who I did know, who I didn't know, how many I recognized, what was going on, um, and to try and get a feel for themes, right? Which I don't think you can ever do if there's 10,000 people and more breakout <laughs> sessions yeah. than there's ever time to watch. You know, I've got a list of sessions I will probably never watch. I'd like to. And that was when I was there. I, each day I was like, right, what's on my schedule? These sessions. Some of them I couldn't get in because it was just super busy. You get to them. I got to one session about a minute beforehand. It was full. I, so I learned my lesson. I went to the next session 10 minutes early. It was already full. Uh, and it was like, right, okay, maybe I'll just try and watch some of these virtually from a desktop somewhere because that might be easier than walking across a conference hall sure. and not getting in. Um, or I'll catch up afterwards, which we all know probably never happens. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I sort of got the same themes as everyone else. And it could be that self-fulfilling thing that I went there to look at several themes. So therefore, the conference seemed to be all about them to me. Oh yeah, yeah, and and then and then you know based on what you're saying, it you know if if you're looking around for a bunch of separate parts, then you're like, oh, there's a lot of separate parts <laughs> instead yeah. instead of like which which of course fits with like an infrastructure thing like Kubernetes, right? Where there's uh, all these different components with like um, oh you know depending on how community versus vendor you want to be with competing like uh, modules to fill competing plugins. Boy, look at me using vague words. I, I don't even know the Kubernetes terminology for like, you know, this thing fills in this component of, uh, of something. But yeah, it, it does seem like, you know, there's, there's like at least two options for each way you would do something in Kubernetes, if, if not more. And, uh, and uh, did you go to the community pavilion? Or whatever they called it, where there's like yeah, the, I did. The I mean, a, a stuff. bit mixed because I mean, it's interesting, I suppose, KubeCon being more open source focused, so actually a little less vendor focused. You know, there's not mm. a lot in the way of both sort of product updates. Even in the keynotes, there is no big vendor coming on stage saying "Ta-da, version X" or something like that. Yeah, it's all sort of iterative updates. Here's how these projects are going. Here's how, in general, this ecosystem is working. Um, so going over to the sort of the area where it is all based on the, the open source projects was quite interesting. Less vendor pitching, obviously, a lot more here's where we fit in, a lot more kind of better together stuff. You know, we work with this. We're hoping to do that with them. Right. There were a couple of sort of ad hoc talks on that floor as well, which were interesting. So working groups will meet up just at those booths, and it might make it to a schedule or something. Some of them were more informal, so it's not on a KubeCon schedule, but... If you're hanging out in the right Slack channel, somebody says this group will be at this booth at two o'clock and we'll have a chat. And I dropped in a couple of those for like the the app um, SIG group. And it was literally maybe 10, 12 people tops um, mm. just having a discussion around the booth. And I felt a bit like an interloper because I'm not really someone who hangs out in those special interest groups or anything, um, but did have an interest in them. So you're sort of listening on the edge thinking, is someone about to say, who are you? What are you doing here? But actually, they don't. Mm. They're all... It's all very welcoming, and if they're in, if you're interested, then you can just listen in. Um, I then tried to get into some of the follow-up sessions, but they were full. So, um, but yeah, I, I liked that sort of uh, the project part of the floor. It was interesting to just see what was going on, um, and that the advantage is of like forty booths are all tiny, and you only have to walk hundred meters. I yeah, I to cover a lot of ground versus some of our conferences or others where 
it's in Hall B across the road, catch a bus, you know, if you go to reinvent, plan half an hour to reach that one here. They're all there within three minutes walk. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's also tons of stickers over there. That was very well coordinated. Did, did you there see were the wall stickers, stickers they had? Yeah, I, I, th- did you get any of them? I didn't. No, either. I'm a sticker-free guy. I, I'm weird in that way. I see all these people thronging oh. for every sticker. I kind of get the urge, and then I think, no, because they'll sit on the desk and I'll bin them. That's no good. <laughs> you, you, you should get one sticker for your laptop that's like, I don't, I don't know what they do uh, you know, over in y'all's neck of the woods, but like no bills posted. Like just yeah. like like have have that on there. That would be hilarious. Well, yeah, I I uh, uh, I spent some time hanging out with my friend Matt Ray from my other podcast, and he was at the to, to the point I'm about to make. I'm going to mix up the names of things. He was at the Open Cost booth, and he works at Kube Cost. And it was he told me this would happen, but it was hilarious. Like I was there, you know, we had lunch, and I was just hanging out, and maybe about the time I was hanging out, maybe 15 people came over and always the first thing they said is what's the difference between open cost and kube cost. And it was just, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he, he would go over these two things. So it is like, but then also from, from that booth, I could see the uh, Carvel booth, you know, we, we got a lot of VMware people working on there and uh, that was pretty, pretty busy and interesting, but yeah, it's, it's fun to see the, um, activity amongst all the open source projects and i was talking with someone you know because we're we're in in the business here you're always speculating on this stuff i was thinking like you know they should put the the way they had the boot the open source stuff arranged it was sort of like in its own little grotto if you will and uh i don't know it seems like it should have been more more front and center maybe not you know we had a great booth of vmware near one of the two entrance doors so those are those are very sought after, probably charged for positions. But you know, you could put the uh, you could put the open source people in the center of of the area there, and and that might be nicer. Who knows? No, that, that was lunch. You can't do that. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that 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 was lunch. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. It's probably more the the money side, isn't it? The vendors. Yeah, the of course. Area, you have to walk through it to get to the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which is totally cool. But whatever. That's fine. You know what they should have is they should have like a sponsored lounge area in the middle of the open source thing where you can like, you know, sponsored by, well, VMware, of course. And there would just be like really comfy couches and like things like that and lots of plugs that you could hang out in. And it would be like, it'd be a a way to like have, as people have discussions with the open source people, they could like, you know, little groups, they could move over to the comfy couches. And then it's also just like a nice little space there. Uh, which which should be fun. That's my suggestion. I'll file that at suggestions at cncf.io, which uh, probably has one of those replies that says, no one checks this email box. Please do not reply back. I guess. <laughs> Actually, I will say they there were a couple of things that cropped up, and I can't remember where, right? There's too many Slack channels and forums and things, but somewhere I remember stumbling across a kind of feedback forms for things. And it was people complaining about sessions being too full. And mm-hmm. um, at some point, someone was being overly officious at closing doors to rooms and saying, no, this is full when it wasn't. There were loads of chairs empty and people were complaining. Oh, yeah, yeah. And actually, very quickly, people from the CNCF came back to it. People saying, hi, I'm part of the organizing, this and the other. You know, this bit's out of our hands. It's being done by sort of health and safety on site who run the conference. For sure. And they got it all sorted and they got people. And, you know, within a matter of hours, everything was being addressed. I got the impression they were very on top of things, actually. Uh, yeah, they are. They, they, the, the CNCF and the Linux Foundation people are, are 
as you say, very professional. Like I was there uh, on on a media pass through through my other podcast. So I I went to some of the uh, you know like the press conference and then like the separate media sessions. There was one you know someone at the new stack wrote it up and somewhere else, but you know there was one on platform engineering. This is where they had vendor speakers because they had they had someone from Red Hat, Hashi, whatever, and uh, there was one other person. GitLabs, and I think I think they were on that panel talking. But then they also had like a, a you could call it a customer panel, someone from Audi or however you pronounce that. And of course, CERN CERN's always showing up to these things. Uh, and uh, I think like some American bank or something like that was there on the customer panel. And Must you know, one there also and everything, aren't they? Yeah, who who was it? I forget I forget who it was, but like. I should I should go back and watch that recording because like I was I was kind of like zoning out a little bit uh, because it wasn't like they were they were basically just talking about how well things were going and I, I like once I kind of hear that like my mind kind of disengages because I always want to hear the like you know things we're doing best practices we've come up with and things like that but they seemed happy with uh, their Kubernetes usage but also see if there's anything I was going to say useful I, I but advisable to extract. What's that? I think I might have seen that that panel. Um, was it part of the sort of keynote, the sort of start of the? No, it was, of it was like it was like in the media conference thing. But oh, okay. but anyways, th those were run very well. And and as always with the media thing, there was a a better buffet lunch than the box lunches. They had the uh, <laughs> they had the 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 well cooked tender chicken uh, chicken thighs section. You know, that's a very popular conference food to have the chicken thighs. And of course, the salmon with creamy sauce on it and uh, some other unique things. Uh, I knew I should have come and found you at the conference. <laughs> you could have upgraded my experience. <laughs> yeah. That, how, how about yourself, Ben? You were watching remotely. So you I, actually, what, what, yeah. what are some sessions that... that, I, that so, uh, you know, just putting it out there, seriously jealous you folks getting to go and to uh, to experience that you know i have serious fomo of missing out on that but um i did get to see it sort of from afar and and a lot of the um the session videos have dropped this week so i've been i've been mm. um going through and picking out ones that i think are particularly interesting and um of course because vmware had a lot of people there um i also saw the uh sort of um collaborative notes if you like you know everyone's sort of oh yeah yeah into one doc and just sort of puts mm. their notes down and stuff so that was brilliant because that sort of you know gave you an idea of what the what the themes and stuff were that that was that was to, to interrupt you that was really good it, it was like i think that is the most extensive trip report notes i've seen ever yeah <laughs> from yeah, a company really and and it really added to the i mean it added to the the overall sense of like there's a lot of stuff going on here because it was anyways but that was that was nice to it's, it's a better way to take a pulse of a conference isn't it the one person's yes. opinion because everyone sees Absolutely. different sides of it so you get 20 yeah. people saying here's what we see and you get a much more rounded view even though it's probably still vmware yeah. centric shall we say yeah. So I think that was really cool. And I think what I sort of sort of took away from that and sort of felt anyway, just just looking through the, the, the video playlist, for example, from the CNCF site is that this conference seems to be really more of a CNCF conference. They still call it KubeCon, mm. but Kubernetes is becoming um, predictable and mature and it's getting to the level where 
you don't have to talk about it as much. M meanwhile, mm. all the ancillaries and all the stuff that's going on around it is super inventive, you know, um, new, uh, has a lot of um, interesting things going on, things changing fast and, and, and changing for the better very quickly. And I think that came through in the talks as well. You know, the, the talks and the themes there, like I said, looking through the sort of show notes doc that, that we made afterwards, the themes were things like um, WASM coming up a lot, EBPF coming up a lot, um, Backstage coming up a lot. You know, these are all sort of side issues, if you like, to Kubernetes itself. You know, Kubernetes right. is becoming a sort of a um, a nicely stable sort of predictable background not that there weren't talks on that. There were some great talks on that as well. I saw a really good one that was about how to kill a Kubernetes cluster. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a brilliant talk. I saw that. And, it was uh, the first session I couldn't get in. I, right. I got there and I was like, what? and I, at first I saw these huge crowds and I was like, are they there for this session? I thought this was a bit, bit niche, like an operator one almost. And there was queues out the door and I was like, well, I'm not getting into that one then. But obviously the idea, obviously a lot of people have killed clusters and I'm like, how did they do it? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it, it was a you know it was a developer talk, so it was about a sort of you, you know first of all how an architectural choice can have an impact on on your mm. needs from a cluster node, and then secondly, sort of optimized settings and how sometimes maybe the documentation doesn't really line up with what you actually want. So it was a great great session, a good example of a good Kubernetes session, right? There's still lots of Kubernetes sessions, but. There's just a ton of stuff going on all around it. And I think that's the exciting part, particularly for folks like myself, you know, with a developer background and, and yourselves as well, because um, it's not just infrastructure anymore. You know, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on, talking about golden paths or talking about, um, you know, how to do things like uh, service mesh uh, through eBPF and stuff. So there's, there's loads of stuff going on. I'm really jealous that I didn't get to go, but... Uh, I'm very thankful that the uh, videos appeared online so quickly while it's all still sort of fresh in fresh in everyone's minds. So go ahead, have a look at the uh, YouTube playlist. And we, we've picked out a few I think we can put in the show notes as well. So, um, so yeah, go check them out. Yeah, and, and I, you know, you're pointing out like a distinction. And by we, I mean all of us in this ecosystem and community or whatever. But like, you know, I, I guess, and people do this, but like, I guess we've all got to like start thinking about uh kubernetes as a core thing and then and and then all the other stuff you layer on top of it like it's almost like i don't tell tell me if you think this is fair it feels like there's some there's an increasing amount of things and i think backstage is in this category that just use kubernetes like they're not really kubernetes they just run on top of it and, it's, and it's it's more about modernization, I would say. So, so you know, yeah. Kubernetes is often um, part and parcel of a strategy of modernizing a particular, you know, business, moving to the cloud, doing all those sorts of things. And alongside that, you have to uh, change your development practices quite significantly in order to make the best of it, in order to optimize for that environment that you're working in. And Backstage is one of the one of the really good ways that you can do that across a large group of, of uh, developers. So I think that's why it's it's there, really. That's why it's sort of mentioned in the same breath. It's because 
you can run your backstage on Kubernetes, of course, but that's not really what's being discussed. What's being discussed is things like, how do you right. offer a golden path? How do you document well? How do you make things easy to create and um, manage and and uh, um, explore? Right? How do you how do you do these things inside the the walled garden that is your enterprise when you have hundreds of developers possibly working in 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 lots of different locations you know remote locations how do you bring all that information together in a useful way uh so so i think it's it's right to be there but it it's another case of sort of it's a cncf conference now it's like you said there's right. a lot of open source there there's a lot of other stuff going on that's sort of um around the sides of of the of the of the you know kubernetes um uh singularity that's in the middle but there's all this sort of galaxy of stuff going on all around it we well, see and, that and with polo k today's right that's a whole day before the conference begins mm -hmm. now and that's with security already taken out and run into its own conference and you can easily see then you know fast forward a little bit those co-located days become more events on their own and suddenly actually the kubecon piece could eventually shrink down to being a lesser core because it's all around the sort of trimmings around it or like you said everything's sort of growing up and moving up the stack a bit Exactly. Yeah. Like, and, and as, as you're, uh, I, I guess, I guess you two are reminding me that it's the, it's the cloud native computing foundation, not the Kubernetes native computing foundation. <laughs> right. And so like, and, and, and that, like, I don't know enough about WebAssembly and stuff, but that would be another example of like, well, this isn't like a Kubernetes thing per se, it's its own thing and it's a cloud native thing. And so therefore it becomes, it belongs in the CNCF. And then like you were saying, Ed, like eventually, there's like KubeCon versus Cloud Native Con, and and it's just Kubernetes is just another thing in that umbrella, which, which is uh, you know, that's great for the CNCF as far as its magnitude, which I think, you know, people like magnitude. It's good to be a large, uh, a large growing organization. I got I got to hang out with some of the CNCF people, and they, uh, well, one. Uh, they seem to have nice jobs, so they're they're well taken care of. Uh, so good job on the Linux Foundation. And then uh, two, you know, they're uh, they're all cheery people. It's 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 fun. They're they're happy uh, happy. Uh, they don't really complain a lot or have bad things to say. They're not like, you know, there's certain eras of of the open source world where it's all about like uh, talking about how you know there's evil out there <laughs> that that must be defeated with the open source toolkit. Uh, which, which is which is not nice to not be around uh, when possible. Well, narrowing down to KubeCon, although maybe when we do the survey next year, we should take into consideration Kubernetes versus cloud native. But uh, I think we talked about this a little bit last time, but we finally, finally, it seems like finally, if you work on it for a long time, but we finally published uh, our own uh, state of Kubernetes survey which uh, I, 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 have, I have written, only one blog post has been published so far, but I was asked to write three of them. So I've spent a lot of time looking over the PDF and uh, taking screenshots of it here and there. And, uh, you know, uh, well, one, if you're listening to this, you probably would be interested in it, so you should get it. Uh, and if you go to the show notes at tanzutalk.com, you can download it, or you just search for State of Kubernetes 2023. But I think uh, I'll just call out a couple of things that I thought were interesting. One. Uh, you know, I was surprised that we do this, but we've actually done it for several years. We actually put in like the survey results of uh, market share uh, and including us, like all the, 
I don't know what to call this anymore. Maybe you know from your reading, Ed, but like the public cloud hosted Kubernetes services. I don't know if that's managed Kubernetes service. It's just weird to say public cloud, but whatever. All the KSs that, yes. that are out there, the star KS. And then the the on premises ones, and uh, I think if if you if you were to look at our, our friend VMware Tanzu, our Kubernetes stuff, it uh, it goes up. I should have the chart in front of me, but like four to five percentage points, if not more, every year. So you see it uh, climbing the uh, the rankings there. I think yeah, I think fourteen to twenty to twenty five to twenty nine. There you go. Yeah, did, did I do my math approximately right there? I'm pretty I'm, bang on. Bang on. Yeah. All right. Good. I've 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 uh, built up an intuitive sense of charts. I used to. I don't know if I've told you all this, but when I was doing a strategy, I I wanted to have some programming because sometimes you know you'll get a chart and they remove the numbers off of it because they're being yeah secretive. Yeah, and and I was like, you know what we need is we need a pixel counting thing where you <sighs> could put you could put a chart in there and it would count the pixels and then you could actually get numbers around it and, <laughs> and start to estimate you know. To, you to see, that reminds me of something else that I saw on Twitter today, which is a year progress counter. And just every day, that's all it is. It's one GIF of like, okay, we're up to 24% through the year or whatever. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, I think as you know, the rankings, I think, you know, it's, uh, I think it's always interesting, always interesting. Well, it is always interesting that that Amazon is always the number one in Kubernetes stuff. Because if you watch the Kubernetes documentary, basically Kubernetes was made as a competitive gambit against Amazon. And then also uh, Amazon never shows up in the Kubernetes documentary except as a drone shot of one of their buildings. So it's always this like this shadow figure in the background of the Kubernetes documentary looming there, uh, like this untouchable unknown thing. This well, yeah, but they sold them the drone and the camera, and <laughs> all the memory cards, uh -huh. all the dollies, the lighting. That's right. yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Anyhow, it's they obvious. It. They didn't sell them. They rented it. <laughs> it's obvious that Amazon has uh, fully embraced the uh, the Kubernetes thing and, and vice versa as far as the market. And then I think I forget. I, I, it's close though, isn't it? I'm looking at a chart. It's close. Like AKS yeah. is right there. Like you it can is. get a piece of paper between them. So you know it, it is close. Yeah, it's not like and then got a runaway. And then going down there, OpenShift occurs, and then uh, I think I think we're right under OpenShift, and then you have the uh, the Google one. Uh, yeah, GKA, and, then Rancher, then IBM. And and then uh, and then I guess there's another thing to highlight highlight to point out about the survey that I think is really valuable for what I care about is. It's basically, I would say it's for large organizations. And if I remember, it's like, uh, this goes to Ben's joke about like, do I really remember what I did at KubeCon? Do I really remember these three blog posts that I wrote? Uh, no. <laughs> but it's basically, uh, it's organizations of a thousand or more people. And then it skews very heavily towards much larger organizations, which I think is great, right? Like, because it means that, well, it's great because that's the kind of people I talk with, large organizations. So these trends are a lot more reliable for uh, what big, big organizations, big companies, and, and other people are doing, which I think makes the market share stuff uh, more interesting. But how, how about yourself? What what did you? Uh, I know you all have read the survey in detail. Probably put it on, print it out on A4 paper, highlighted it. You know, or little notes. What 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 did you think was interesting yeah. in there? Much so. Uh, I mean, I was yeah, looking at the, the market share stuff 
because I've seen sort of flex errors recently and there was some news at KubeCon about IBM making layoffs, this, that, the other. But, you know, therefore you kind of, I'm always trying to match up in my head. How's this working out? Do they, do these surveys agree? And they never do, right? Different vendors, different analysts. There's always different figures, pick your audience. Um, but I'm largely looking at those sort of adoption figures was the one that I find interesting. But actually, you know, there's, there's almost never a great takeaway. I mean, I guess, like you said, looking at AKS versus EKS, they've all been in the lead for a long time. Oracle's IBM's always come in somewhere at the back. Um, I, I like to absorb them all, but actually, does any of them change my worldview or how things work? Not a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, the other thing, I guess, is just that there's still a lot of that middle ground, by which mm. I mean platform engineering, where does it go next, application platforms, that kind of thing, right? That's still a, a gap being filled. And therefore, you know, does it actually have that impact on speeding up developers? Um, and it's whether surveys show whether that how that bit is developing and is it working. Everyone thinks there are still benefits there. I'm just not sure they've been fully realized, which I, I wouldn't expect. That space is still immature. We're still figuring out. Everyone, I think, sees the benefits of Kubernetes, whether it's an operations level, whether it's for developers. It's just whether that's how quickly it's going to really work. Um, yeah. Is, that's where my mind is focused at the moment. Yeah, yeah. You, you, we we didn't publish too much on this in the survey, but I, I look for this in other surveys. Like, it's always interesting to, to weigh. What's the word? Like, hopes versus reality. Like, or you know, uh, a, a a four ahead of time perception. Like, these are the things we think will like why we're interested in this, and then like check in a year later and see what uh, yes. intent versus achievements. There you go. And and I think this year we started with a little bit in the survey, like asking about you know business benefits, uh, which which you know you were kind of alluding to this. We're relatively yeah. small uh, at the moment, but I think it gets to the point of like uh, everyone has big hopes and dreams. And uh, we'll see how it pans out, <laughs> right? So it, it's it's hard it's hard for people. There's not enough people around who have used it for long enough to have much to say about uh, long term hopes and dreams to reality ma matchment matching. But it's a very positive survey, though, isn't it? Like, you know, mm -hmm. you, you you look it through is. it, and that's, that's what it that's what struck me about it. It's very it's very positive, and and there's a lot of progress being made. I think that the two exactly there stood out for me. There's a lot of progress. Nine out of ten saying that they agree that cloud technology, including Kubernetes, is transforming the way the business operates. Like that's a really positive endorsement of all the things you've been saying for years, right? About how moving to cloud helps you transform your business, helps you modernize, gives you that flexibility and that freedom. So I think it's it's good to see survey respondents bearing that out across, uh, you know, a broad sample yeah. set. Yeah, really I, I, think, I, I think like you're saying, I think I think the summary that, that Ed was looking for is the arrow is still going up. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> up and to the right, up and to the right. a very long um, rambling version yeah. of that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it, it might be a slightly like squiggly arrow, but generally if you were to draw a straight line through it, it's going in the positive direction. Yeah, yeah, for the sure. The other thing that interests me is there's a line at the end around three quarters of folks in the survey saying that they're utilizing multiple clouds. That seems like a, a good healthy large number and it sounds like multi-cloud is becoming the norm but it also sounds like there are 25 percent you know a quarter who aren't there yet and aren't 
you know making the best of different vendors for different strengths and and being able right. to you know um spread their bet across multiple clouds so that they have some shielding from you know price hikes or god forbid one of the cloud vendors perhaps deciding not to do it anymore or whatever right because <laughs> yeah, at some yeah. point there could be some consolidation in this market right so if you've got all your eggs in one basket maybe that's not a good thing so so it's interesting to see that you know three quarters are, are smart to that and are, and are actually you know trying to use multiple clouds at the same time yeah and, and that 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 angles the that's the angle that's that's the one my the blog post that's actually out which which uh uh you know, again, you can check the show notes, listeners, to read it. But like, I was as I was reading over this morning, I was realizing the only reason I ended up writing that blog post is so I could get permission to use this great IDC slide that I found. Like, there, there's two there's two great analyst things I found in this writing up project. One of them is this IDC slide that shows basically, I think it's four quarters of a survey. I don't know. I'll have to go look, but it's basically four data instances of something like 7,000, a lot of thousands of respondents saying like what percentage of their applications run on what type of infrastructure, like through traditional on-premise managed hosting, public cloud, private cloud, blah, blah, blah. And like to the multi-cloud point, you look at it and you're like, all right, everything runs everywhere pretty consistently. Like thing, things kind of shift more uh, away from on-premises, but like, quarter over quarter or whatever the period is in, in this IDC survey, like there's just a lot of, I wouldn't even call it multi-cloud, it's just multi-infrastructure is sort of like the reality of, uh, of what's out there. And then the uh, the second thing that, that, well, we actually have this in a licensed survey, but I finally, I was digging around and there's an estimate from Gartner about the number of applications that run on Kubernetes, which I think uh, in, uh, in, in 2021 or so was, what is it? Like it's basically, it was 10% in 2021 and they estimated to go all the way up to uh, 25% in 2027, which is 2023, that's four years into the future. And so like, even even at that point, right? Like it's, it's um, and you know, not to try to pull the arrow down or whatever, but it, it shows some, a point I think you were making earlier, Ed, that things are like uh, early, if you will, that even in four years from now, if only 25% of applications are running on this, this thing, then it means that like, there's still a lot of development and work and figuring things out uh, in the future. And, you know, th since, since, you know, Ed, how, how did this play out in the, uh, the VM world, uh, world? Cause VMware, like, I forget when the workstation thing came out, that was like 2003 or so. so Somewhere around that, now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then how, how long do you think it took for for us to have this like ah everyone uses VMware sort of like kind of forever? Thing. Well, I mean, <laughs> there, there's still the old outlier now, but um, a good fifteen years, I'd say. I mean, ten years for probably the mainstream, right? By by 2015, yeah. most people had most things in VMs. Were still some outliers, and you know, a few cases, but mostly 10, 12 years. Um, yeah. And even then, I think if you took those same surveys, how many workloads ran in VMs, you'd still be talking about 50, 60% because you've still got the mainframes, some other stuff, some niche cases, some industries sure. who do it, regulations. There's always pockets. You're never going to get massively high. Um, but yeah, it, it just takes a long time, even once everyone figures out it's good because a lot of companies obviously aren't replatforming everything all the time. And like, yeah, yeah, when we re-architect that system in five years, we'll put it on Kubernetes. 
in whatever shape it's in in five years from now, but they're just not in a rush to do it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Do you know what? I, th I feel like I need a curated museum tour of the VMware Museum or something where we get to find out when certain things came to market and, you know, how they did and stuff. I, I find that really fascinating. If there's any listeners out there already know of a curated virtual VMware tour that you can take, uh, yeah. maybe it's in some national archive somewhere or something, then uh, then get in touch and let us know and we'll share it. With I remember our, we've had loads of internal timelines, haven't we? And I remember we had some up at VMworld. Like, you know, they were the big walking between Moscow name, Moscow name, what is it, A and B or whatever there was, were these oh, like in the long there. posters with various timelines of either product releases or technologies yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, and we've got an right. initiative of running at the moment internally, haven't we, to get stuff to the um, the Computer History Museum. Yeah. In San Jose, so that we're yeah, no, I, 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 I recently got my 25 year VMware t shirt, which is you know, I've not been at VMware for 25 years, about two and a half years, maybe something like that. But but it's like, oh my word, there's all this history, I need to find out more about this history. It'd be a fascinating, uh, be a hell of a YouTube video as well, Kote. I reckon the history. Oh, of yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, maybe we have one of these, especially because of that 25 year thing. But every now and then big vendors will have like, you know, the the bigvendor.com slash history site where I, mm -hmm. I think Sun had one of these that was fun. And, and you know, it's probably nowadays would be one of those things with that really annoying scrolling where things just like pop up all of a sudden. You're just like, ah, I just want to scroll a static Web page. Get out of my face. But, like, <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> I remember I saw one, I forget what it was for, but I saw one long ago and that had, um, instead of instead of vertical scrolling, it was horizontal scrolling on a web page. And I think I think for a week afterwards, being like a, a, a web native person, I was just like, my mind is broken. You're not supposed to have horizontal scrolling on a web page. I don't understand what's happening here. Like, I, I wasn't told I needed my trackball to, to like read this web page. I don't think that would work on my cell phone, my uh, my smartphone. Oh, yeah. Swipe right gestures and swipe left gestures for the OS itself. That would be, so, like, that would that be would madness. Just, yeah, huh. that would just be crazy. I would never get to the end of it. But huh. it's more the problem, isn't it? The history of um, and your associations. It's like scroll right, but that means discard for me. That's archive, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Swipe left, totally different meaning. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> I think uh, we're finding well, out more and more about uh, Ed's uh, <laughs> Tinder, <laughs> <laughs> or or at least his email habits. Yeah, yeah. Other apps Sadly, are more my email habits. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think I think I think finally I'll mention before we close out there is uh, uh, I, I I gave some review input on from some of our old pivotal not all of them were uh, uh, from pivotal people but but some of the people who worked on this were some of our pivotal friends from from way back when you know two years ago uh, <laughs> but they they've been working on a uh, platform uh, maturity model which you know platform engineering maturity model paper that they've uh, submitted to the CNCF and I think it's. Uh, I, I do remember this one because I looked at it this morning. Uh, but I'm I'm gonna over the weekend. I'm gonna think about the fact that I forget things that I work on and uh, see see what I can do about that. Uh, yeah, I you know, I met I met one of my coworkers, uh, Whitney. Her and her son were in town, and I found out that she uses whatever this method is. She uses flashcards, the kind of flashcard thing where if you get it right, it shows you like seven days later, and then if you get it right again, it shows you like a month later. So you have reinforced uh, flashcard learning and. Uh, wow. It's kind of kind of amazing. She was like, "Yeah, that's how I learned all this Kubernetes stuff, just uh, flashcards." So maybe I should do that. I'm not sure, but 
this paper was on your shortlist, isn't it, Ben? Yeah, yeah, I've got yeah. a flashcard on that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I think I think this platform maturity model paper is worth looking into because it, it's it gets to another area. Like when I talk with you know executive people at large organizations, like part of what kind of like the discussion we are just having, like part of what I want to encourage them to think about is planning out how you're going to do all this magic cloud native stuff, and then and then also learning from the other way that people have like gone through the process speaking of scrolling to the right or whatever like and and mo you know most most um what's the word pragmatically thinking like oh this is going to take a long time <laughs> right and so like that's that's one of the things maturity models are great for because it lists out i think there's five phases and it's basically like here's the phases and the activities that you will doing Kind of like the smells of maturity, which having a, a nine and a thirteen year old, I'm I'm refamiliarizing myself with the smells of maturity. <laughs> but you know, you've got you want to know the smells of maturity <laughs> as 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 you're going through there, which I think this paper will give you a a sense for if you're putting like a platform uh, thing into place. And thankfully, these smells are not necessarily bad smells uh, or or whatever. But you know. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, there's your smells of maturity episode. Uh, and uh, if you want to get the show notes for these, you can go to tanzutalk.com. And we also broadcast these live. I don't know. Whenever it comes up, we'll see, try to do them on Fridays in, in the morning Euro European time. And uh, you can find a link to the videos there if you want to see the visuals. But uh, if you don't subscribe to this already in podcast form, you should look up Tanzu Talk and uh, subscribe. And we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye, all. -bye. Bye,